Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for the morning of Wednesday, March the 11th, the morning after the Canucks get back on track to an extent. It, was it a must-win game last night? Uh, yeah, kind of, yes. It, they're all must-win, sort of, at this point. Sort of, I guess, is an, uh, you know cop-out that I, they're not all, but... We are reaching this point in the season where if the Canucks do not start picking up points again, it's done. It's over. And yes, last night's win, 5-4 to four in the shootout over the New York Islanders, just to be clear, as I have failed to mention that part as of yet, was not uh, you know, a season saver, but it has stopped the season from twirling down the drain, as it were, so far. Uh, this could still be... Uh, a make-or-break week for the Canucks if they lose these next two road games coming up. They have uh, Colorado and Arizona uh, the rest of this week on the road, and those are two winnable games. They should be anyways because that is a Colorado team that is the exact same side uh, that you faced last Friday night uh, that is extremely banged up, that is missing a number of key contributors, including four of their six top six forwards, if I'm not mistaken, as well as one, if not both. Uh, no, just their, their one starting goalie. But still, uh, it's a banged-up club that you can take advantage of exactly the same way that you did on Friday night. That's a, a team in Colorado that uh, lost badly to the LA Kings the other night. So uh, that's a winnable game for sure. And if you're not fired up to claim some vengeance and and retake those points that were stolen from you by the Arizona Coyotes to start this homestand, then come on, guys. Like, you got to want this. You got to want it more than the fans want it. You got to want it more than the media wants it. You need to put the work in to actually pick up some points and make the playoffs. And I don't want to freak out in advance about games that they haven't even played yet, games that they as I'm saying right now, should and could and probably will win. I'm just saying, if they don't win those games, then last night's victory, fun as it was, was really all for nothing because that's kind of how the Colorado game felt by the time Monday morning rolled around and you'd you know dropped Sunday's contest to the Columbus Blue Jackets for a second consecutive Sunday. Monday morning rolls around and it's like, oh, remember that distant memory of how nice it was to beat the Avalanche on 2000's night on Friday? It doesn't really matter anymore because you couldn't string a couple wins together, keep a good thing going. You could not beat the Columbus Blue Jackets, a team that you should have been plenty fired up to take on after they embarrassed you a week earlier. We are going to see a very similar situation coming up with the Arizona Coyotes. If this team can't get up for that game, if they cannot put up uh, you know, uh, an entertaining effort and, and a quality effort that's going to collect them two points in the standings uh, against a team that, again, embarrassed them, this time on home ice a week earlier, then maybe there's some big-time questions and question marks around this uh, team that are being answered by the way that they uh, don't necessarily get up when their playoff lives are on the line. But I'll save that pessimism for a later date because today is a day of 
celebration of sorts. Not only did the Canucks win the game, and yes, I know it's a shootout. It's the skills competition. It's circus time, as Dan Russell used to call it. Uh, It doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot when you get your wins that way, but they all count. No one is asking how. They are simply asking how many at this time of the year. And the Canucks did get a much-needed two points to vault them back into a playoff spot. They were not in one uh, yesterday. At the beginning of the day, they got pushed out uh, late on uh, Monday night. But they're back in right now, and they might get bumped out again by the time uh, you listen to this, if you listen to this on Wednesday evening. But for the time being, those two points, good enough to uh, keep Vancouver in the mix. And... Uh, it's impossible to say that uh, the preemptive return of Brock Besser did not play a part in that win. Did Brock Besser figure into the scoring? He did not. And we'll talk about why he did not figure into the scoring, particularly in the shootout a little bit later in the show. Uh, But, you know, style of play and the way the team was just willing to, you know, run and gun against an Islanders team that has a good amount of skill but doesn't tend to play that way. A ton of the complaints surrounding the Canucks slide of late is not necessarily even that the results aren't there. It's that the process hasn't looked quite right either. You know, you you take on a team like the Columbus Blue Jackets on Sunday, a team that is exhausted at the end of a lengthy road trip, a team that is playing uh, their second of back-to-backs, was in Edmonton the night before, but a team that plays a smothering defensive style. The Canucks should have been fired out of a cannon for that game and taken it to them and forced the Blue Jackets to play them on their terms instead of being caught in whatever system Tortorella had the boys running out there to play. I know what the system is. We all know what it is. It's the trap. They were they were trapping up a storm that game. But whenever Vancouver plays against a team that has a stifling defensive structure... Uh, you know, whether that's a, a New Jersey, even the lowly New Jersey Devils, whether that's uh, the New York Rangers as well, whether that's the Dallas Stars, whether that's uh, early season Edmonton Oilers, who certainly were playing uh, pretty well within Dave Tippett's typical uh, Coyotes throwback structure, uh, whether it's the Arizona Coyotes themselves. If the Canucks play against a team that does not uh, permit a ton of uh, back and forth action, They're not able to make it happen. They are not able to impose their will on these defensive teams. And I've said this many, many times over the course of the season, so forgive me if you've heard this from me on this show before, unless, of course, it's the St. Louis Blues. If it's the reigning, defending, undisputed Stanley Cup champions, then Vancouver can get up and put the effort in and really take it to them and make the Blues play their game. Any other defensive team, that doesn't happen. So... I know that uh, the you know Islanders have had some streaks over the course of this year where they've looked like they are unstoppable, where they looked like they are a hot offensive team. But, I mean, you saw it last night. That's a Lou Lamorello club in the traditional sense. They have Matthew Barzal and very little else. Okay, yes, Brock Nelson showed up and he played fantastic. There was one Brock showing up quite a bit on the score sheet last night in a big, big way. It was not... Uh, Besser, unfortunately, it was Nelson. Yes, Jordan Eberle scored one of the prettiest goals you're going to see in Rogers Arena all season long to tie things up late in the first period. All of those things are true, but when it comes to creative flash, creativity, guys who have the green light to press on offense, it's Matthew Barzal and not much else, unfortunately, for 
uh, New York Islanders fans. Fortunate for the rest of us, though, because, uh, uh, I mean, I don't know how that's fortunate for the rest of us. <laughs> I like watching good hockey. I, I caught a, a bunch of highlights from the Washington Capitals the other night. Nick Dowd scored a beautiful goal that uh, the NHL deemed worthy of putting in a promoted tweet. And watching a team just create off the rush regularly is not something that we have seen from Vancouver very much. Uh, certainly of late, certainly since Brock Besser left the lineup uh, nearly 40 days before his return. That style of play returned in the first period, specifically in a big, big way. The Toffoli goal scored off the rush. Quinn Hughes dishing over to Elias Pettersson. Pettersson going full sauce and just threading the needle, putting that puck over three, count them, one, two, three, New York Islander defender sticks to make that pass land directly on the tape of Toffoli, who scored off the rush. That's what hockey should be. That's what watching hockey should feel like. It was fantastic. It was creativity. It was speed. It was all these things that if you're someone of my generation, perhaps, if you're someone who grew up watching the West Coast Express era Canucks, if you're someone who was very much engaged in 2000s night nostalgia last week, that's the kind of hockey that you were brought up on. That's what hooked you to the sport in the first place. And over the last five years, even longer perhaps, the Canucks have not offered you a ton of that. This is why people get excited about these young guys. Not only do they score, they do it in dynamic and exciting ways. But the only reason they were able to play that style of play is because of the return of Brock Besser. Brock Besser gave them something that they haven't had. Really, I think going back all the way to probably... I don't know. I'd have to look at the rosters on paper, but it doesn't feel crazy to say like 2013, maybe 2014 at the latest. A full, complete top six made up entirely of top six players. When you take Louis Erickson out of the lineup and you slot Brent, uh, Brock Besser uh, in his place, uh, he, you are, I was going to say Brandon Sutter for a second there. No, get, get him out of here too if we can. Uh, I digress. When you take... Louis Erickson out, and you put Brock Besser in in his place, you are left with, as I said yesterday, I made this point on the show yesterday before chatting with Georgia Twist, six players who are all legitimate top six forwards, every single one of them to a man. We haven't had that in Vancouver in so long. Think of the people that we have suffered through positioned as top six forwards. Let's throw Brandon Sutter in there. He's definitely been one of those guys. But, you know, Jason Magna and your Michael Chaput's, these are all guys who have played top six roles for the Vancouver Canucks over the last several years and hasn't been good, hasn't been fun to watch, hasn't been enjoyable. Uh, the game against the Avalanche on Friday night was a high-scoring game, but it did not feel like previous vintage classics between those two sides over the last couple years here. I, everybody thinks back to uh, last year's game in, I think, early November where the Canucks had that incredible 7-6 matchup with the Avalanche. That was exactly the kind of hockey that I'm talking about, exactly the kind of fun, up-tempo style that you want to see played on a nightly basis. Uh, the game this past Friday, it might have looked like that if you only looked at the score sheet. 
it did not feel like that in actuality. That game was only high scoring because both goalies in it were terrible. Almost every single goal given up in that game had a certain stink factor to it. Uh, were the goals fantastic uh, on Tuesday night against the Islanders? For the most part, yeah, they were. Now, honestly, Varlamov had a tough night probably in goal for the Islanders, but I'm not going to complain about that when it means that the Canucks score four goals in regulation and take the thing to the shootout and win it there. Uh, I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth on that front, though I guess I kind of am in critiquing the way they won the game against the Avalanche last week. My point is... Uh, this was no mirage. Uh, the, the the number of goals scored in this game were reflective of the style of play that both teams tried to play in spurts anyways. The Islanders did kind of let their horses run when they fell behind as they fell behind early and often. Vancouver got out to uh, a one nothing deficit very early in the first period, but then quickly clawed right back and put the Islanders in a hole. They went up 2-1. Man, in like the first four minutes of that first period, I don't have the game sheet in front of me, but it felt like those first three goals were scored in rapid succession, one after another. But the Isles, time and time again, found ways to claw back, and it's because they had to play the style that Vancouver was dictating. Obviously, easier to dictate style when you're in control of the game, when you have a lead on the scoreboard, but the only reason that was able to happen is that Brock Besser returned and gave them that freedom. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Canucks is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Canucks fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Canucks fans in a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777, that's double three triple seven, or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. And after surrendering nearly 50 shots against against uh, a team that, as I mentioned, is not necessarily an offensive juggernaut in the New York Islanders, perhaps Canucks fans will look forward to hearing from Louis Erickson again before too long. And they might not have to wait a whole heck of a long time either. I know that Chris Tanev left the game last night with an injury, did not return. There was no update on his status Uh at the end of the night, uh, Travis Green not commenting on if we might see Chris Tanev again uh, when this team is on the road in Arizona on Thursday. But, uh, I mean, hey, you, I have no idea what to expect from Chris Tanev at this point this season. He has not missed a single game all year, which is insane considering uh, he usually misses a good 15 to 20 every single year at the very least especially uh, after a night earlier in the season when it looked like he basically got his leg shot off in uh, in Winnipeg. Guy left that game but didn't miss a beat. Was you know I think he maybe even returned to that game, never mind played again uh, the very next night. So who knows if Chris Tanev is actually not going to be available. I would say that uh, odds are he won't be, but then again, he's been a miracle man this year, and there's no indication that that's going to stop other than uh, – 
if you look at the game's played number uh, next to his name for every single season before this one. Uh, I did think, though, that there was an injury on the fourth line at one point last night as well. Did Tyler Mott leave the game last night? Am I making this up in my head? I tried searching for uh, Mott's status on Twitter, but uh, only saw tweets about his fantastic uh, TV feature, the video feature that they put together for, I think, Canucks.com that re-airs on uh, the broadcasts here as well, him talking about his uh, struggles with mental health. And uh, i got a lot of respect for Tyler Mott now. I know that he's a player that I bagged on endlessly at the beginning of the year as just someone who I was sick and tired of uh, in previous seasons. Um, But there is something different about the team when he plays. Uh, That Sounds stupid, and I know Travis Green has commented on that as well, uh, that it doesn't make sense that uh, you know you lose Tyler Mott and suddenly things go sideways. But he brings an ingredient that this team otherwise lacks that seems to rub off on his teammates when he does play. But uh, there's another guy with that ingredient right now, and that is Zach McEwen. McEwen uh, with his third goal in as many games uh, last night, a big one too. That third line... And I I know I said this derisively on yesterday's show when talking about uh, Friday's game against the Avalanche, uh, you know, has been dragging the team into the fight a little bit. It's true. And you shouldn't necessarily need your third line to do that, especially when they're not even deployed as a third line. If you look at their ice time and total usage, that third unit is actually a fourth unit. Uh, that is being counted on as a basically scoring fourth line, which is kind of exactly what we wanted, exactly what I spent so much time and, uh, you know, sweat and energy and tears maybe a little bit, uh, and histrionics, some might call them, freaking out about the cuts to, uh, you know, Nikolai Goldobin and Sven Berchi. I wanted a team that had scoring depth. We have that at the moment, uh, and it's coming from a very strange place. It's coming from Zach McEwen, a guy who, As I said on the show yesterday, I have to eat some crow about because I did not think this guy had the wheels to hack it at the NHL level, and he is just fighting desperately to stay right now. I think he's got that spot pretty firmly locked up. I think this is an offseason that we head into this time around uh, where Zach McEwen can safely expect to be an NHL roster member for the Vancouver Canucks come the start of next year, and he has been a big jolt of life into a team that is just sagging down the stretch. So uh, the fact that uh, Godet was one of the guys to get the comeback started, that he, uh, you know, was was the guy really. It was a, a harmless looking Edler point shot that Godet deflected, and then uh, McEwen scored later on basically the exact same play. Uh, a period later, a, a harmless looking wrister from Alex Edler at the point that a teammate just happened to get in front of and get a stick on to help it beat Varlamov, but. Uh, yeah, like, what what can you say about Zach McEwen? You have to feel good for a guy who has put in the work to get to where he is, who have focused on a, a weakness of his game, his skating, and did everything in his power over the last year to fix that problem. And it's paid off. And, uh, you know, you, you have to have a, a special shine for guys like that. Guys like, you know, not to draw the most hyperbolic analogy, but guys like Alex Burrows, who put the work in to get where they need to go, uh, who start from the absolute bottom, who were never drafted and still end up uh, in the show, and not just in the show, but being contributors and actually making a difference in NHL hockey games. You have to feel good about that. Now, whether you feel good or bad about Brock Besser's game last night is a different story. He 
had an impact on the style of play, as I said, and I thought he did generate a fair number of chances. Uh, there was an opportunity for him, or a possibility, I should say, that he would be kind of carried through that game by uh, uh, adrenaline only, that he would come out and just have an absolute wower of, uh, of a game. Is that even a word, wower? Uh, that he would be amazing. In the same way that, uh, you know, a returning Antoine Roussel was earlier in the season when he got back into the lineup and I think scored like four goals in two games or whatever that happened to be, uh, went on an incredible heater coming back in. That wasn't the case for Brock, uh, but he, he was good. And good is what this team needs right now, especially on that second line, because I know I just made the case that Louis Erickson should draw back in in a depth role, perhaps on the fourth line, and I stand by that, but right now more offense is needed from that second unit, and uh, they did, they got a power play goal last night. Bo Horvat struck on the power play for the 12th time this season, the team leader on the man advantage, but uh, we didn't see a ton of five-on-five generation from that trio, it will come. It will come in time. And the fact that he was just good is a good sign that he will get better as he settles back in. Unless, of course, he's not 100% healed and the injury is just going to degenerate as he plays on it. I guess we'll find out one way or the other, but my lean on this happens to be the more optimistic one. I think that uh, he, he wanted to come back early because it probably killed him to watch his team sliding out of a playoff spot while he was gone, and I would imagine that would be incredibly frustrating, feeling like you can help, but you're sitting on the shelf. Uh, He is back helping now, and um, could have ended the game in the shootout. Could have had the winner, and I want to believe that in the alternate reality where what really happened didn't actually go down, that he would have made that impact, that he would have had the winner, that uh, Brock Besser would have gotten to be the uh, the hero that we all wanted him to be on his first night back in the lineup. Brock Besser comes out as the third of three shooters in the shootout for Vancouver last night. JT Miller has scored on shot number two to put the Canucks up ahead 1-0 after Petey couldn't get it done on attempt number one. Uh, he's got the game on his stick. Demko's made two straight saves. It's one nothing in the shootout for Vancouver if they get a, th- a second goal on their third shot. The Islanders cannot come back. That would be it. That would be game over. And personally, I always love it more when the shootout ends on a goal. Uh, It it can still be exciting for the home team, I guess, when the home goalie gets that final save and the shootout ends on a save. But I like it when the shootout is over because somebody scored. Uh, it, It feels a lot more climactic. Uh, more like a walk off, basically, uh, than when the goalie just makes a stop, or when the you know the goal. Sometimes the goalie doesn't even have to make the stop. Sometimes the puck just dribbles off a shooter's stick, and that's it. That's the end of the game. That doesn't feel satisfying at all. And even if you win, you're like, oh, well, two points is two points, I guess. But that that's not great. I, maybe last night's game is not the best example of that because you still have to feel very, very good for Thatcher Demko for the way that you know he kind of had a, a statement game. And he's had good games over the course of this stretch. Uh, Harmon Dial has put it very well that you know the Canucks' process overall has been better in the absence of Jacob Marston. They have made those improvements in their game, but those improvements have not matched up 
with the strong performances from Thatcher Demko. When the team has played very well in front of him, Thatcher Demko has had very bad nights. When Thatcher Demko has had very good nights, the team has not played very well in front of him. Uh, We finally got the confluence of events that we've been waiting for, both of those things to be true at the same time. The team played pretty well in front of him, and Thatcher Demko had a tremendous night. Now, I know that's hard to believe on a night where he gave up four goals, but he also faced nearly 50 shots, and some of those goals were very, very pretty, as I mentioned, the Jordan Eberle one in particular. But uh, yes, Great. A nice statement game for Thatcher Demko, who had some spectacular saves, particularly in the second period, a split save uh, that was just incredible. Uh, A couple phenomenal glove stops as well uh, midway through the game. But uh, this one could have ended with a fairy tale ending. Brock Besser getting the shootout winner in his first game back, and he took the puck at center. And he skated into the offensive zone. He was, you know, going to get started on his shootout attempt. When whistles blew and the play was blown dead. And personally, I've never heard that before in the shootout. I've never even heard of such a thing that there's a stoppage in play during a shootout attempt when the shooter still has the puck on his stick and has not stopped forward momentum. But some clown, some absolute asshat in the audience at Rogers Arena had a puck that maybe went out into the crowd during a during I don't even think like how where did he did he bring this puck from home? Did he catch it over the course of the game? There's all kinds of unanswered questions here. Who is this guy? Is he even a Canucks fan? Why the hell would you do this? He iced the kicker essentially. Freeze the shooter, whatever you want to call it. Brock Besser had an opportunity with the game on his stick to put it to rest, to put it to bed, to send everybody home happy in the shootout. And he had to go back and begin his attempt all over again. Now, does that make a huge difference in the grand scheme? I think it does. I think that you know puts the shooter a little bit more in his own head than he was the first time cutting in. It also tells the goalie, Varlamov in this case, you know, what direction he plans to come from, the general, uh, you know, speed and and beginning of, of his attempt. You know, you give the goalie uh, a better idea of what you're going to bring, and it also maybe uh, lets the anxieties flare up of, of, of Brock Besser himself in terms of what he plans to do. Now, Brock is not necessarily the greatest shootout shooter anyways. Like, historically, over the courses of his career, he hasn't been good at it. But there was something about that attempt on that night in that moment where I fully believed he was going to get the win for his team and instead we had that moment ruined by somebody who should be arrested you know what should be arrested Al Murdoch hopped on the PA afterwards and said fans please refrain from throwing things on the ice under any circumstances you could cause injury and will be arrested and removed from the building He should be arrested anyways. I want that guy pointed out. I want him banned from the building forever. You do not throw anything on the ice, especially during a shootout attempt. Are you kidding me? Come on. Be better. Be better than that, Vancouver. And I hate to say Vancouver as if we're all guilty and all responsible for this one absolute clown. But, uh, you know... That is dumbass behavior. There's no other way to put it, and it's we're just lucky that uh, Demko made the save afterwards, and it happens to be all for naught is just a, a weird footnote on this 
strange game that happened to go the Canucks way. Uh, that'll do it for us here today. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that little rant. I got a little fiery as the show wrapped up. Uh, if you could be so kind as to head on over to the Apple Podcasts app, if that's where you happen to get the program, leave me a rating and a review. I always appreciate it when you do. And as I've said many, many times over the last couple of weeks, I know that there are hundreds upon hundreds of you out there who have not done that. I'm begging you, please, please, please. You get this show for free. All I ask in return is that you maybe say a nice thing about me in a little uh, five-star review if you feel so inclined. It doesn't have to be five stars. I would prefer if it was, but, you know, uh, write your truth, speak your truth, whatever you feel like. It's all good. I just want reviews so that other people can help find the show. And, of course, you can also tell people about the show if you happen to enjoy it. Give it a like or a share on the old uh, tweet machine. You can find us at Locked On Canucks. You can find me at Locked No, I do not have a Locked On in my handle. You can find me at Justin Morris. That's M-O-R-I-S, one R, one S. Until tomorrow when I am back to, I guess, tee up tomorrow's game against those desert dogs, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks. If you like what you heard here today, tell your smart device to play the Locked On NHL podcast because, hey, I happen to show up there as well. Thank you. Goodbye.